Hello, welcome to the Lansing Area Church of Christ's weekly message podcast. This week, Illumide Faulkner of the Detroit Church of Christ joined us to continue the Messy Church series with a sermon titled Messy Relationships. Good morning. It's, uh, it's good to see you guys. Uh, good to be with you uh, this Sunday. Uh, we were actually uh, in Lansing last, uh, last weekend. Um, we, uh, we came, my wife and I with my kids, we came for the uh, Akron versus uh, Michigan State game. And Carolyn has a, my wife Carolyn has a cousin who plays for the University of Akron. So uh, we were there cheering him on. It was a difficult task considering that they lost 52 to nothing. You know, but uh, it was my first time actually at a college, uh, U.S. college uh, football game. So that was pretty, pretty impressive. Um, I, I do hear that the experience for Michigan State was a little different this past weekend, yesterday. Okay, I'll, I'm just moving on. Okay, um, my name's uh, Olumide Faulkner, and um, my wife, my lovely wife is right there. Our two daughters are here with us. Uh, my oldest is uh, Michaela, and uh, she is uh, eight years old, and my youngest is Leal. They're in the, the, kill, the children's classes, and she is six years old. Um, we, uh, we served in a full-time ministry in the Detroit church for about four and a half years, and in, at the end of 2020, uh, we uh, came off staff, and uh, my, wor- my wife works for the, the city of Hamtramck uh, as an urban planner. And, um, and then I work for an insurance company, actually uh, Michigan Farm Bureau, uh, which is headquartered here uh, in, in Lansing. But I get to work from home, so, uh, which is great. Um, but uh, we, we actually were here in Lansing, gosh, um, I, I think about five years ago, you know, and uh, we, we came and we did a, a parenting thing uh, for uh, some of the parents uh, in the church here. So that was, but let's just say it's been a minute. And uh, it's good to be back with you guys here again. Um, I, I feel like, maybe it's just my memory, but this place looks even swankier than when we were last here. I, I'm imagining that some stuff's been done. It looks good, you know. Um, so, now, I, I am aware that you guys are doing a series, and uh, I believe it's entitled Messy Church. And now, let me see if I've got this, if this is working as it should. Okay, Perfect. Um, okay, so you, uh, Joel started off the series, um, you know, one of the things I was thinking about as he, you know, what he, when he shared with me with regards to the, the, the Messy Church series is, is the reality that, um, you know, God is perfect, right? His plan for the church is perfect, um, but, you know, the thing about the church is it involves people, right? And as Joel so... Um, clearly emphasized in his uh, lesson last week is that, uh, uh, you know what, people are messy, right? People are messy. And, um, you know, church is messy because it's about God's restoration of people. And the thing about God is, if you observe, right, there we have miracles in the Bible where it's instantaneous things, but most of what God does throughout uh, when you follow the Bible is always by process. And so we are messy, but God is working on that, right? And there's a process involved. Um, you know, his vision for us is eventually to conform us to the image of his perfect son. But as he does that, right, I've got my mess. You have your mess, right? And when those things start to interact, right, 
we can get some messy conflict. And, um, you know, it's our insecurities, it's our pride, mm-hmm. it's our lusts, it's our selfishness, it's, uh, it's our opinions, it's our rights even, our freedoms. It's all the stuff we do when those, when we get triggered or those things are infringed on. It's all the ways we react and all the ways we respond. And when my mess, right, comes into contact with your mess, watch out for that messy conflict. Um, I remember years ago, this is, I, I lived in Canada for a long time and became a disciple in Canada. But I remember years ago, I was leading the teen ministry in Hamilton, which is a, one of the smaller churches in Canada. And, um, and uh, we were connected with the Toronto Church and, and so forth. And one of the things that happened, I had this, um, we would frequently go in and join up with the Toronto Church um, for teen events. And, but we had kind of an irregular schedule when we did that. And there was a change in some of the, uh, some of the leadership in the uh, teen ministry in, in Toronto. And the brother who was leading it, um, you know, he wanted us to come in more regularly. And I remember we were all sitting uh, together at uh, this table. It was, it was myself, this brother, and two other brothers who led the respective teen ministries in uh, different regions of the Toronto church. And uh, me and this other brother, we were not seeing eye to eye. Like, we were definitely, you know, and I, years later, I remember speaking with uh, one of the other guys who was sitting at that table. He goes, yeah, you guys were definitely not getting along, you know. And it was just like, he's like, yeah, you were both being pretty, pretty prideful. You know, and, um, and, and, and so I, I remember that. And, uh, and, and here's the thing. We are trying to serve God's kingdom, right? We're, we're, we're trying to serve God's church. And here we are still having conflict. You know, um, I, uh, I remember speaking to, uh, not, not that long ago, actually, it was like three or four, three or four weeks ago, I was talking with a brother, and, and, and he was sharing with me about a conflict that he had with another brother. And here's the thing. These are both two guys who I truly respect. You know, they're not young Christians. They're not weak Christians. They have strong convictions, faith in God. And I'm looking at it going like, man, you know, it's like all of us are susceptible to this, you know. And um, I don't know if you personally have experienced any conflict in the church. If you haven't, good for you. Amen. But if you have, you know, what I've observed is this. Um, you know, I've seen people walk away from the church because of conflict, right? Um, and it can get messy. Um, it can hurt the faith of young Christians. It can, frankly, hurt the faith of older Christians. You know, it can make church feel like a toxic place where, where you don't want to be. Um, our world, though, is full of conflict, right? There's, there's conflict at work. There's conflict within families, right? There's conflict in the media. There's conflict between cultures. There's, there's uh, political conflict between parties, right? There's conflict between countries. You know, our world is full of conflict, and we're not really surprised by that. That's what we're used to. It's, it's, it's kind of the status quo. Conflict is everywhere. Um, but... When it comes to the church, I feel like sometimes it can surprise us. You know, we, we know that God loves unity, but when we don't maybe see unity around us, maybe we don't see unity in the church, we can start to wonder, hey, did we somehow break church? Like, is it, is it broken? You know, and, um, but 
what I wanted to do is spend some time in the Word of God this morning. And uh, let's see what, um, we're going to look at some truly spiritual examples, okay? We're going to look at uh, 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 individuals who I believe are some of the most spiritual people to ever walk the earth. You know, you can even make the case that they were among the greatest Christians ever. Um, We're going to go to Acts uh, chapter 13. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers believers in all the towns where we preach the word of of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now, when I say that, uh, you know, these are some of the most spiritual Christians who have ever lived, I'm not kidding. You know, Paul and Barnabas, the, the two of them, these guys were specifically tapped by God, specifically. He said, set these guys apart. I have a mission for them. And he sent them on a mission, and, and they took the message of Jesus to new places, places where people had not heard about him before. And uh, in the process of doing this, that, that, that trip they took together saw about seven churches planted, okay? Um, Paul would go on to, to um, plant many more churches. And when, when God was formulating the New Testament, the guy he chose to, wrote, to write the majority of the New Testament books was the Apostle Paul. I mean, I would say he's a spiritual guy. You know what I'm saying? And then, of course, Barnabas. You know, when Luke chronicles what the early church was like, he talks about the incredible sacrifice and generosity of the church in, in Jerusalem. And he highlights how there were no needy persons. As much as he talks about all that, he actually only gives one person's example by name. And it's this guy here, Barnabas. In fact, Barnabas isn't even his name. His name is Joseph. But Barnabas is a nickname that the apostles, not just some Joshimo person, the apostles gave him. And it means son of encouragement. You know, when, 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 um, when a, a, a church started in Antioch, it was a, a new church where a, a bunch of um, Gentiles, non-Jewish people were becoming Christians. You know, when they heard about it in Jerusalem, the person that they sent to go strengthen and encourage them was this guy, Barnabas. So when I say that these are two spiritual dudes, I mean, I mean that. These guys are spiritual, right? Um, and then we read this. Paul proposes that they go back and strengthen the churches that they had, that they had uh, uh, planted. And it says Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Two of the most spiritual men who have ever lived, front and center, in a messy conflict. We, we shouldn't be surprised when conflicts happen in the church. Even the best of us aren't immune. You know, this may have hurt the faith of some young Christians. Instead of being surprised, though, instead of being stymied, instead of being put off or wondering if church is broken, we need to pay close attention to how God has equipped his people to overcome or deal with or avoid messy conflicts. 
So the title of our lesson today is Messy Conflicts, The Heart and the Art of Unity. We're going to talk about first the heart of unity. See, before we can go on to talking about the art of unity, we absolutely need to understand the heart of unity, right? The art is all about the principles and the, and, and the, and the practicals of unity, but the heart Without this, the principles don't matter. Without the heart of unity that's behind unity, all that stuff isn't going to matter when your mess and my mess starts to interact. So let's begin. We're going to go to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Early in Jesus' ministry, he took his disciples aside and he, and he laid down for them a new way of thinking, right? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, as we read these, we're told the reward or blessing obtained for each of these attitudes But when we get to verse 9, it's a little different. In verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. See, what makes this different is that it's not what they receive, but rather who they are acknowledged to be. See, peacemakers, it says, they will be called children of God. Well, why is that? Because fundamentally, they reflect who God is. You know, um, I was uh, with a brother yesterday who was uh, putting in a new door um, for our, at the front door of our house, which we've been planning to change forever and a day. Um, and in preparation for that, we were riding around and going to Home Depot, picking things up. And I was asking him questions about his family. And he was sharing with me how, you know, him and his, um, uh, he's not particularly close to his dad, He's uh, one of seven children. His dad had like five kids well before him and his brother. And, um, and it's kind of like there's, it's almost like two sort of situations. Like one family is like lives all kind of over there. And, 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 and then, you know, his family is here. Um, and they went to a, 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 a kind of a family function years ago. And, um, and there were all these people kind of like when they came in, they were looking at them like, who are these people? You know, and... Um, and he mentioned that, you know, it was kind of jokingly, but, but they saw his daughter, his youngest daughter, and she had the family nose. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and they saw that, like, they, they, his family's called the Ewells, right? He's like, they were like, oh, she's got the Ewell nose, their family, you know? And, um, and, and it's this, this idea of that that is how they, you know, it's their, their common sort of thing that you're recognized by, right? Like, we, we all have our family features, Right? The question is, do we have God's nose, right? And of course, what I'm talking about is, is the resemblance to God, right? Peacemakers resemble God's heart. Listen to what Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2. He says this. We went by really fast. Way back, okay. Philippians chapter 2. 
Am I doing that or is somebody else doing that? Okay, if you can get me to Philippians 2, it would be great. Um, it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, and if you got your Bible, you can follow along. Um, Philippians 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing, perfect, it's up there, out of uh, selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. But in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what mindset is that? Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What mindset? That's humility. See, what we have to know about God's heart is that fundamentally God is humble. See, this isn't something we would ever, ever have figured out if Jesus hadn't come. Because God is just too high and lofty. But when Jesus came, he, he made God known, right? He says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. In humility, he valued others above himself. In humility, he looked to their interests. In humility, he didn't let his status prevent him from lowering himself for our benefit. Who, who damaged the relationship between us and God? Exactly. We did. But who took initiative to fix the relationship? He did, right? Think about how offended, honestly, and indignant we can be, you can be, I can be, when we feel like somebody's wronged us, when we feel like somebody has maybe trampled on or crossed over a line. Think about how indignant we get, right? We, we, we feel like they need to make things right. The onus is on them. The other person has to address this issue. But Jesus, on the other hand, humbled himself, died to reconcile you and I long before we did anything to bridge that gap. The heart of unity is humility. Without this heart, none of what we talk about next matters much. The heart of unity is humility. I want to talk now about the art of unity. And what I mean by the art of unity, whenever we talk about the art of something, we're, we're talking about the, the, the skill um, at a specified thing, the, the, something that's acquired through practice, right? You know, somebody says, oh, this guy, is, he knows the art of conversation. It means they, 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 they know how to talk and make conversation, right? Now we're talking about, we're going to talk about the art of unity. And there are six principles Six sort of um, things I want to toss out at you. And many aspects of unity in general, but I'm only focusing on these. Um, the first is prayer. In James chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, and you can, you can pull that out in your Bibles. James 4, verse 1 to 3. I'll give you a second to turn there.
James 4, 1 to 3, it says, what causes fights and quarrels among you, right? That's a good question. What causes that, right? You know, typically when, uh, if you ask me that in the midst of a quarrel, I would say, yeah, that guy, you know, I, what causes fights and quarrels, right? It's, uh, that, I think most times in the midst of it, we, we would point the finger to the other person, except, however, listen to what it says here. Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? You know, so we read this, and instead of the finger pointing here, the Bible says, no, 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 no. It has to do with you. And um, it says, you desire but do not have, so you kill. That's not talking literally. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. It says you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You know, um, it, it's funny that, the, that it says that maybe one reason we don't have is because we don't ask God. You know, there are legitimate needs that we can all feel and search for them and desire for them to be fulfilled, satisfied, whatever the case might be. And then when they're not, there's irritation, there's frustration, there's anger. And that can be directed at other people that perhaps would not be there, according to this, if we prayed about those things. Let me give you an example. You know, in my relationship with my parents, you know, I find that my... Um, Let's just say my fuse with my parents is a lot shorter than it is with other people, okay? And if I ask myself the question, well, well why is that? You know, and I've, I've thought about it before, and it's, it's maybe I just don't like the fact that I don't want to be told what to do, you know? Um, I'm soon going to be 45. This is, well, in a year's time. But um, you get what I'm going, you know, and, uh, and so forth. But it dawned on me, have I ever actually prayed about that? You know, God, I really want my parents to, uh, to treat me as if I'm 45. You know, like, have I ever actually really put that before God in prayer? See, we all have these desires which not being fulfilled creates frustration. And the scriptures here say, hey, maybe it's because you're not praying and asking God. Imagine if we were praying and asking God about many of these things, these frustrations that we feel, we might not have some of the conflicts that we have. Okay. Second thing, know your enemy, your true enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 12, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers in this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Know your true enemy. I remember years ago, I was, um, uh, I was living with a couple of brothers. This was, again, back in Canada. And um, one brother and I, we kind of, you know, would butt heads, right? He, had, he was very particular about how things ought to be content, con, uh, conducted in, the, in, in our household there. And I would just say I was very not particular about how things need to be conducted in the household, right? And, um, and so he would get frustrated when I didn't do certain things and, and, and so forth. And we were butting heads kind of all the time. I remember one day in particular, we were in a heated argument. And I remember going off to my room, and he was off in another room, and just, just stewing, 
just stewing. And then there was this like moment of clear thought. I'm sure it wasn't for me, but the Holy Spirit. But it was just this simple question, who's happy? I was like, I'm not happy. I know he's not happy. I know God's not happy. The only person I could think of that would be happy was Satan. You know, and it was just like, whoa, oh, uh-oh, no, 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 I want no part of that. It's important that we know our true enemy. Um, third uh, principle or practical is this. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be wronged? You're not going to hear this from our society. You will never hear it from our society. But you will find it in the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 7, it says, um, and Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. The situation there is that brothers and sisters were taking each other to court. And Paul is like, what is going on? You know, and he writes here, he says, the very fact you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated, he says. You know, it's, 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 there, there are, there, we, we live in a society that's very much about, hey, our rights. It's very much about, you know, all that stuff, right? But there are principles that are higher than that. There are things that are more important than that in the kingdom of God. And Paul says, why not rather be wronged? You know, when I thought about the situation with me and that brother, and I thought about who was winning, I became indignant. I was like, there is no way. I'm not letting Satan have this victory here. And I remember, uh, I remember praying, and it's kind of about the whole situation. And, and again, like I said, there's so much that, that prayer is crucial. It's absolutely crucial, right? I wasn't happy about the situation, but as I prayed, my heart was becoming different too. It became more important to me that we be unified than not be unified. And I remember distinctly saying to myself, okay, I'm going to apologize. To this day, I don't remember what the issue was about. I don't know. It was just something about in the household. But I remember saying I was going to apologize. But it was also crystal clear to me I wanted to apologize in such a way that it would be completely diffusing of the situation. And I remember distinctly saying, I'm going to say to him, you were right and I was wrong. And to tell you the truth, I can't remember who was right or who was wrong. You know, I can't remember. Even at the moment I was saying it, I didn't even remember. I just, I just said, I'm going to say you were right and I don't care. And you, I was wrong. And, and, I, and I said, hey, I called, I called him out. I called him to the, to, to the room. And, and as he came, I could see like in his body language that he was getting ready for round two. I could see his shoulders tense and everything come up and all that type of stuff. And I looked him in the eyes because I had mentally re rehearsed it. I said, bro, you were right, and I was wrong. And I tell you, I never forget this. The visual change in his disposition was powerful. The shoulders came. It was just like this. And he's like, bro, I'm sorry, man. You know, and it was just this big, like, it was just this big, you know. Uh, and he's a dude, right? And, uh, and, uh, and, and so, but, but. I, I will never forget that. I'll never forget it. It, it taught me how powerful it is um, when, when, when we're willing to embrace these biblical concepts, right? Um, 
Why not rather be wronged? You know, um, number four. Um, I don't know if you can see that. I, I spent a lot of time trying to make that visually understandable. The goal is to win over your brother, not win over your brother. I don't know if you can see that, but you get, you get what I'm saying with that here, the, the, the little play on words. The goal is to win over your brother, not win over your brother. You know, in Matthew 18, this is a scripture, if you've been around for a while, you're familiar with, right? It's a scripture about, hey, if your brother sins, some, some translations have against you, some just as if they sin, right? If, you're, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, right? And some of us, we, you know, we're like, ah, maybe we're timid or whatnot, or others, we're like, yeah, I'll do it, you know? Um, and it says, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen, you have won them over. Years ago, this started to stand out to me, the second part of this, that you've won them over. If my goal when I'm approaching someone to show them their fault is to win them over, it affects how I approach them. It, it affects the things I say. It affects the approach I take. I, um, I, uh, so there was a situation, um, it was at a, uh, 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 so for years we were in the teen ministry, and we were at a, uh, some event, some conference or something to that effect. And, um, and I remember somebody uh, preached a lesson um, that while I was listening to it, I was like, mm, I don't know about that. You know? And then later on, I found out the effect it had on some of our teens in, in, in Detroit there. And so I felt compelled that I needed to call this individual and, and speak with them. And, um, and I remember making the call, and we talked, and it was like, um, you know, I made some small talk and, 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 and so forth. But eventually, uh, I got to what I was sharing about. And, you know, um, he was on his best disciple behavior, right, listening and all that type of stuff and, and, and so forth. But I could tell that we didn't, he didn't necessarily agree, right? And I wasn't going to, like, force the issue. I was like, hey, well, you know, I've, I've shared and, and, and so forth. And, and that was that. That was years ago. Um, and um, I hadn't seen him. And I was at the conference in Orlando. I don't know who, who here uh, got an opportunity to go. It was great. Um, I was at the conference in Orlando. It was one of kind of nearing the end. We were heading towards uh, uh, heading to our hotel room. It was just me and my, my one daughter. And coming out of the same hotel was this guy and his family. And I locked eyes with him. And I was like, oh, it's that dude. So here's the thing. I actually barely know him like we we hadn't really actually interacted much at the conference at all you know um and and we certainly had never spoken the only time we have ever spoken was that call that i called him right you know but i thought hey you know what i i i went up right right up to him i was like hey how's it going so forth and, and he didn't he didn't know who i was i'm like hey i'm that guy you know who called you after that and, and then he was like oh you know, and, and I saw his eyes just sort of go like this and, 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 and like, like, okay, I got to go. You know, and, um, and then I was like, oh, okay. I wasn't expecting that, you know. And, um, and, and I remember uh, the rest of the day I was kind of thinking about it going like, oh, that was a little weird. Now, here's the thing. It could be totally my perception, right? Because it's important that we fill those gaps with good things. When we, when we think somebody has just said something or acted weird around us, it's important we give them the benefit of the doubt, okay? And, um, and, uh, but, but, but in my mind, I was thinking, I don't know about that. He was not feeling me, you know? 
And, and I remember um, uh, as, as I prayed, I was thinking like, you know, we got to be able to handle stuff like this. We, we got to be and, and not respond poorly and not respond badly and so forth. And um, I, 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 I had been a disciple 20-something years. Um, he had been a disciple, I think maybe a, a decade or something like that. I'm not sure. We, it's not, we had never run into each other before, never met before, you know, other than that, 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 that thing. I literally had no thought in my mind that I would ever see him again, you know. And, um, and, and um, what, what happens is, because I prayed about it, let's just say I think God had something else in mind. Um, in, in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 25, uh, it says, God wants you to go, okay? God wants you to go. In Matthew 5, in verse 23, it says, Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over the judge, and the judge may hand you over the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. You know, that interaction I had with that brother, I walked away feeling like, you know, I don't think I won him over. Um, but um, um, but what, what, what happened after the fact is... I just kept running into him. This guy who I, I, you know, I just kept running into him. You know, so we, we're at this general uh, session, and at the end, um, I'm walking out, and um, I mean, this, the room is large. There's like several aisles. Like, there's like at least four different aisles you could go down. And, and there he is, like the distance from me to the end of the hall there. He's in that aisle. I'm walking this way, and I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, and, and it's like you, we lock eyes, right? And, and I do one of these, I was like, uh, should I just look down without making it super awkward? Um, okay, I'll wave. I wave, and then he does like, and, and it's like it's like we're both doing like the oblig- obligatory thing. And uh, so I was like, okay, all right, I'm walking. We walk past. It seemed to me like he kind of busied himself with something down there as we were walking past. So I'm like, okay, that was awkward. And then we go to the back, and we're, we're with some folks, and we're kind of planning our what we're doing, um, and kind of linger there a little bit. But then when we finally get done and we start walking, he's come down and he's walking right beside me. And I'm like, oh, what do I do now? We're literally walking side by side. And thankfully, you know, I grew up in a time when in the church we were taught, hey, you need to be giving, right? And, um, and, and, and so I was like, I was literally relying on discipleship training 101. And I was like, so uh, how old are your kids? You know, and, and so he starts talking about his kids. I was like, oh, okay. Um, uh, here are my kids. Uh, she's eight and she's six. I'm literally like scratching my head. How do I make conversation here? And, um, and then, you know, we, we, he, so he introduced me to his wife. I call my wife over, introduce her, and, 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 and so forth. Then I get the feeling like I'm like taking too much of their time. And um, so we part, right? And then we go to our hotel later on. We come down again. And there's his wife. I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're everywhere, you know. And uh, uh, so, so then the very next, the, the, the next day, I think um, the, the conference is over now. Um, we, with some other families, went to uh, Disney Springs, like downtown Disney. And let's just say the marketing is heavy. Um, we, 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 we went there, and, um, and uh, we're in the, uh, the Disney store. It's the world's largest Disney store, right? This place is a zoo. There's, like, everything going on. And I look. 
It's like the conference is over. And in walks this guy and his family. I was like, oh my goodness. Okay. All right. Well, Lord, I think I'm getting a sense of what you want here. You know, I was like, all right. All right. I'm going to, and I walked right up to him and, and started talking to him, you know. And, um, and I was like, you know, and, and because in my mind, I start, I was like, okay. The only interaction we ever had was this interaction that could have been taken negatively, right? Um, the best of us are challenged when people bring up things to us about us, right? And, um, and you know, so I, I, I just, like, I, I need to go out of my way here and lean in, right? And, um, and as I talked with him, it's like his, the disposition was different. I think after having interacted several times over the course of whatever, the disposition was different, right? And we, we, we he, he, you know, I was with a few brothers, and like, he, he mentioned that he's actually moved to the Midwest. And I was like, oh, so I might actually be running into him. Um, and, uh, and, 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 but then I was like, okay, let me be hospitable. I'm here with some other brothers from the Midwest. Let me introduce, because he's new to the Midwest, right? So, so we were with the Merkels and, and, and um, you know, the, a great couple in Detroit, and we were with um, the Rodriguez. There's a great couple from the church in, in um, uh, uh, Milwaukee. Thank you. You know, and it's like, let me, let me, let me, let me be, if, if I, I, I'm in the Midwest, let me be hospitable and introduce him to some great Milwaukee uh, and great Midwest brothers and sisters, right? And, um, and, and we had this long conversation, all of us, for like 20 minutes. I share that all to say, um, God wants you to go. I prayed a prayer about how, ah, oh, this isn't great. It shouldn't be like this. And you know what? God's like, yeah, you know, you're right. <laughs> Here, fix it. You know, just like, just deal with this. Fix it, you know. And, um, and so, um, and, and, and the encouragement is we, we got to settle matters quickly. Um, and then last, uh, help others be unified. Um, you know, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Synecdoche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the gospel for uh, a cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are written in the book of life. I have always wondered about this scripture. I've always wondered how much of this was driven by Paul's experience with Barnabas, right? That disagreement, that sharp disagreement that ended such an incredible partnership that God had put together. And he says here, he he says, I plead with you, whoever he's writing to, whether it's the church or an individual, he says, I plead with you, help these sisters to agree. How do you do that? How do you help people to agree when they disagree? You know what I'm saying? Like, and, 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 and who knows? We don't even know what the conflict was. We have no idea. And even when you look at Paul and Barnabas' conflict, like, who was right? I can't tell you who was right. Was Paul right for saying, hey, let's not, let's not bring on a guy here who might not be reliable? Or was Barnabas right for like, no, let's invest in, 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 in and really, like, uh, believe in this guy? Who, who was right? We can't tell. See, the issue with unity sometimes is we can make it an issue of right and wrong, and sometimes it has nothing to do with right and wrong. You know, and in this situation here, he's telling them, help them to agree. We don't know to what. How do you make people agree who don't, you know, somehow they have to help these people to agree. Um, 
you know, I was with a, a brother sharing about a conflict that he had with another brother. And, um, and honestly, all I, uh, all I did was share the story of myself and that roommate and who was getting the victory. And it was like a light bulb went off for him. You know, we got to do that for one another. We've got to help each other to be able to agree with each other when there's issues, when there's conflict. Um, see, messy people will always be at risk for messy conflict. The church is not a conflict-free zone. Even the most spiritual can find themselves there, right? Paul and Barnabas. But the church can be where the heart and the art of unity is in full effect. See, the, the, the church isn't um, unified by default. It's unified because we do the work of unity, right? Unity is hard work. It, it, it takes pursuing God's heart of humility and persistent dedication to mastering the art of unity. These things, pray, know your true enemy, right? Um, better, why not rather be wronged? Win over your brother or sister. God wants you to go, wants you to be the initiator and help others to be unified. When there's conflict, we each have to be committed to rolling up our sleeves proactively and, and, and doing this hard work and becoming proficient at it. It's not solved by avoidance. You know, um, church is messy because uh, it's full of messy people. And when there's messy people, there will be messy conflicts. But you know what? God has a plan for that. And he showed us the blueprint for it through his son, right? His son is the initiator. He was the one who, who made it possible for our relationship to be reconciled. And we're the ones who broke it. You know, at this time, as we take communion, I want us to meditate on that. And I pray that it inspires us to uh, be peacekeepers like our God in the areas where we find that there is conflict. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we're here this morning, um, I, I pray that the things we have talked about will resonate deep into our hearts. I pray that you, in your ongoing work of conforming us to the likeness of your son will help us in capturing his humility in capturing this heart of being a peacemaker. Thank you so much, Father, for the death he died for us. And thank you, Father, for um, his resurrection as well. But thank you also for the life that he lived and the example that he set. We're so grateful. Please bless our time of communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Lansing Area Church of Christ. While we're happy to share this message via podcast, we'd love to pray and worship with you in person. To learn more about our services or to connect with us, please visit us at lansingchurch.org. Have a great week and go with God. Thank you.